Hey there, I'm Kristen Haratunian, and I'm an advocate, trauma survivor, and professional public speaker in and outside of the Philadelphia area. And I'm Kelly Madden, a graduate student, mental health program coordinator, and professional public speaker from upstate New York. And we're trying to figure out how we got here. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the How We Got Here podcast. Today, Kristen and I are so excited to welcome a new friend, a new colleague, um, and really just somebody we're really excited to get to know in this space, Corinne Kopp. Corinne, please feel free to introduce yourself to folks and let us know where you're, where you're coming to us from. Hi, everyone. I'm Corinne. I am at present in Surfside Beach in South Carolina, though I've been traveling around the past few years doing intuitive healing and uh, mental health services. That's so cool. Like one of the things that uh, really attracted me to just you in general is the idea that being very aware of our intuition like what power that has over us. Um, I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, Corinne, like, you know, I'd love to hear your feedback on this, but I feel like there's so much in today's world that can block us from listening to our intuition or like talking us out of like what we feel. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, it sounds like it's a very combative world. Yeah, for sure. You actually included a few different questions in one. So I want to definitely make sure to address all of them because they're really relevant points. The world is, I'm pretty certain, strategically organized so that we disconnect from our intuition. Because when we're connected to it, we're very different humans and we're propelled more by our creativity, our internal motivation, our sense of what's sacred and what we love and what we enjoy, whereas the outside world and oftentimes many well-meaning people in our circles and our families, our friends try to get us oriented more toward what is external of success and achievement and uh, physical things. But so many of us know, and so many in the mental health world know that when you do that for so long, it's empty. There's no substance. It doesn't feel rewarding. You you reach that goal. You reach the achievement that society says is so wonderful. But the feeling of satisfaction doesn't stick around. And what I've talked about with clients so long over the years and even in intuitive work, but also from the mental health therapy standpoint, when I was working in traditional therapy, was always about tuning in, not looking externally, because so much of that assists in mental illness and assists in maintaining and creating mental illness when we're not really validating ourselves, tuning into our intuition and following what is genuine for us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I really stuck with what you said about achievement. I um, am a very upfront, honest, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I struggled in childhood with that. So achievement was always front and center for me and was like the carrot dangling in front of me. I know as an adult, I've moved past a lot of those unhealthy tendencies, but really just want to highlight that and appreciate that. Um, Corinne, I'm so 
excited and intrigued, obviously, but more curious to hear how you landed in this work. Um, Your voice and your passions for intuitive healing are so needed. And of course, Kristen and I have enjoyed perusing your website and getting to know you via Google, but um, would just like love to hear more about your journey to this, to this field and a little bit more about your background. Definitely, because it's all obviously connected to intuition. I I guess if we go back to high school in terms of that time frame when you're figuring out career, right? And everyone's asking you what you want to do next, where you want to go, who you do, who do you want to be, how do you want to be in the world? I didn't really have a sense of that. I had a lot of external perspective presented to me of what I would be good at or what I could excel at, but I didn't have my own internal gauge and barometer. And the expectation at the time was that I go to college, like so many people in my generation and continuing the expectation is that continuing education really is required. So I was sent that direction, although I knew within my gut, it didn't really feel right. And that was the first time I remember that sense of intuition and knowing one, that I couldn't listen to it, But also, too, not knowing that I was really needing to be staunch about listening to it. So looking back, that time frame was really significant for me in terms of a a very uh, pivotal point that I now recognize shifted things for me in my life. I went to college and I took as long as I could to declare my major, but ultimately wanted to understand myself more in high school, I got very sick and I understood that what I was dealing with was mental illness. And the next thing that I understood about that in class was that it had no cure. And when I had those two recognitions in one swoop, it was validating and incredibly heartbreaking that I knew what was wrong with me. And it was a lifelong diagnosis. And I needed to understand myself more. So I went into psychology. I did had a minor in women's studies and I also studied Spanish in college, really made the most out of it. But I only learned further that there was no, no way out from these lifelong sentences. And it was incredibly difficult for me to consider coping, managing, somehow maintaining my symptoms and hoping that they were fewer rather than more over the rest of my life, because that was all that was talked about at the time and still primarily is. You don't hear many people talk about being recovered from mental illness. You might hear people talk about being in recovery, but that's a very different thing in my perspective. Either way, you graduate with a bachelor's in psychology and everyone tells you you can't do anything unless you go on to further education. So I went into graduate school. My graduate training was in master of social work with a clinical concentration for uh, doing individual and family counseling. In school, I knew two weeks into my graduate program that I didn't want to be there. I could feel it, but I felt like I was cornered. I didn't have any other options again, because that's what you hear from the external world. I got out, had my master's, passed my clinical exams, got my clinical level of licensure, was working through inpatient, day treatment, intensive outpatient, and finally ended after over a decade in mental health services with my own private practice. And this is where things started to get a lot more interesting. 
because when I was in private practice, I was also doing training in yoga, meditation, and Reiki and energy healing, because it felt like there had to be something more. I had been in mental health therapy for so long and had worked with so many different providers to help to get myself stable, where I was at a place where I could work with clients, but it still felt like something was lacking. And when I got into yoga and meditation and Reiki and really looked inside instead of analyzing, I turned more to feeling toward connecting with my body and yoga, toward letting my thoughts just release in meditation, to understanding the feeling in my body instead of just the emotion through energy work. Everything shifted. I started bringing all of those concepts into my practice and helping my clients tune into their feeling, tune into their body, tune into their gut sense of things. And suddenly everything was different. They were getting all of these kind of easy guidance, easy messages, easy input from themselves, which in my mind is the ultimate aim for any service in helping people is that you or I help guide people toward their own answers. We all have them. We all know our own answers. We might need to uncover it a little bit, but that really sent me more into what I call intuitive work, which intuitive can be kind of a vague and strange word for some people, but ultimately it's listening to the language of the body, which is feeling and how your body feels, not how the mind interprets it, but that gut sense, right? We all understand it from that aspect and helping individuals connect with that. When I started incorporating more of that into my practice, I recognized that I appreciated more working in the intuitive, the energy healing, the uh, meditation and yoga capacity than I did in just talk therapy. And so I switched my practice upside down. I made healing my primary focus And unlike a number of healers that exist out there, most of them are not trained in mental health therapy. So I get a large amount of clients who want that more esoteric kind of mystical, intuitive work, but they want someone also who has the capacity to hold and to understand the depths that can be mental illness or mental health recovery and things like that. So my practice is very eclectic now, but ultimately it's my intuition that had gotten me here. And I recognize too, to go back to my initial point of when I didn't want to go to college, that that pivotal point really helped me become a well-rounded person, a well-rounded provider that I wouldn't have had if I didn't dive into the depths of all of that and really work first on understanding myself. Did you see a difference between like your clients when you were just doing, you know, in the beginning of your practice, like just, you know, doing the whole like sort of like therapizing, like, you know, what most people think of being in a room with a therapist is like, that versus, you know, yoga, meditation, like being with those people, looking more towards healing. Um, like, d- did you see like different outcomes that sort of, uh, I guess, like confirmed your intuition, your own intuition of like, yes, like this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, was there like a moment for you? 
I can't say there was exactly like one moment that stands out, but I will say that for my clients, the difference was most significant. And for that, that was what was confirming for me because they felt so much more, I guess the best word would be empowered in that dynamic of continual redirection back around to them, which ideally is how therapy normally functions, right? The therapist isn't giving advice. They're not giving guidance. They're giving those pointed questions that you have to consider and uncover for yourself. But when I could sit with clients in panic, panic attacks, right? Not just like anxiety, like panic level anxiety and help them to tune into themselves into the body, out of the mind, and shift it in a matter of moments, it really was so inspiring to me that I could give them the tools in a very easy and simple way that they felt like they could manage their energy, they could manage their emotion, they could manage their thoughts more independently than with needing constant oversight and constant regulation. It felt more to them that they were finding uh, I guess the best word would be a cure than maintenance. Does that make sense? I hear what you're saying. Like they're tuning in somatically rather than psychologically in hopes of, I just hesitate to use the word cure on my end <laughs> as a fellow almost clinician. I'm one semester short of being a clinician. Um, I hesitate to use cure, but they're looking for a solution. I guess we could use the word solution. Is that sounding correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Right. Yeah. And I don't mean to say in the sense of one time in practicing right. this solution focused piece is curing it. However, just as mental health develops from practicing or mental illness develops from practicing over and over the thoughts and the feelings, the emotions and the behaviors related to diagnoses, the opposite, I believe, is also true. And the only reason I state that is from my own experience of practicing all of the opposite in terms of leading toward health and wellness and recovery, which I believe is in connection to myself. I believe that recovery from mental illness is possible when we reconnect to who and how we actually are. When we're disconnected from that, the mind is still very disordered, very disoriented, very immersed in difficulty and illness and pain and confusion because the body ultimately the heart, the, the center of feeling, the center of our being needs to be in charge. We know that from a very general standpoint of someone being able to be non-functioning in the brain, but still considered to be alive because the heart is functioning. And so that to me pinpoints that the heart is really, if we center ourselves here, this is really the primary driver and the mind we can use secondary. And when we have that order of heart primary, mind secondary supporting that dynamic, I believe that mental illness can completely reverse. But when the mind's still in charge and the heart is secondary, that dynamic, it's almost like a toddler. When we talk about kids being parentified and they, they start freaking out and having all these behavioral issues, they know on some level that they're not capable of being in charge, of being 
able to manage everything that's expected of them. The mind, in my perspective, functions the same way, that it kind of is like a parentified child when it's put in charge and it doesn't, it's not capable of making those decisions independently. And that's why I will use the word cure, but I know the perspective is different, that when the heart is in charge and the mind comes in only as support, I think it completely changes the experience of the mental realm and mental health and can really transform people's experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about like, just like intuition in general, and listen, like looking at that piece, right? Because like, when I'm, I, I can only speak from like my own experience, but, and like the experience that I that I've seen with people that I've, that I've talked to over the years, you know, if, if there's a, a person that comes to me, and they say, you know, Chris, like, I'm, I'm having like this issue. Um, you know, I, I feel like I can't sleep. I feel like, uh, I'm only the only way that I can fall asleep is if I'm watching something or like something's playing in the background. And I feel like that I'm busy from like 8am to, to 11pm and it, like, they can't stop. Right. And like, I myself am not a clinician, but most, the first suggestion that most people make is like, okay, like you should go to your primary right? Like go to your, go to your primary and talk to them. And then usually the next step is the primary says, okay, th this is what I'm probably going to do for you. Either prescribe a medication or send you to a psychiatrist. Like it's very, like, that's like how the system rolls, um, which I'm sure that you've seen. And like, there are different modalities in, in like how we, we take care of our mental health. Um, you know, different severities I've seen over, just over the years, but I, I can only say from my own experience that like, even when I started practicing yoga, like I was in treatment, you know, and I thought it was like, how is this going to help me? Right? Like I, that was my first, in, my first thing was like, this is not going to help me. Like I have way too much going on. Like how is taking 50, 45 minutes out of my day to like stretch? That was my, that was my thought process. And we did yoga once a week, once a week, twice a week. And it, it did improve, you know, when we're talking about like symptoms, right? Like it improved my well-being. Um, it made me feel more connected, be more uh, really intentional with connecting with my body, connecting with my mind and like having them sort of meet again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, like this is what's going on. Um, but I, I think that you know, having different modalities, different access points is, is extremely important. Like you don't just need to do one thing. And then if that doesn't work, mm -hmm. it won't work. Oh, definitely. Because, uh, what's the, what's the verbiage? Like if you go to a surgeon, they're going to want to do surgery. If you go to a chiropractor, right, they're going to want to adjust you. If you go to this other provider, right, whatever provider you go to see is going to recommend the way that they go about treatment and the way they go about healing. And that's wonderful because we need every single person and every single avenue that people can access to help themselves improve in their lives, whatever that looks like for them. So we need the surgeons, we need the physicians, we need psychiatry, we need therapists, we need healers, we need people who do yoga and Reiki and that all of those will build on each other, however it works for each individual. When I first did yoga, I was in college and I hated it. 
it was the worst experience I had ever had because it was the first time I was forced to sit with myself, not say anything, and to deal with all of the emotion that was stuck in my body that was coming up from all the positions that I was in. It was horrible. <laughs> I remember thinking I am never, ever going back to that. And then, oh, well, about a decade later, I was in yoga teacher training. So it it planted a little seed, but it is so valuable to have all of these different providers and whatever works for somebody. Like if you're drawn to something and you feel like I'm going to go see my primary, like I trust them, I want them to help me, whatever they say, go to your primary. If you have, you don't want that, right? You don't have a primary doctor, whatever you want to do yoga, like go to yoga. That's that part of intuition, right? And following what feels right for you. Cause I'll tell you for me, but this is based on my experience and it all, all that matters is what it is that resonates for you of what that path looks like. Cause none of us have the same path. None of us have the same outcomes. None of us have the same purpose for anything, even if it looks about the same. So it's all about that individualness and accessing and approaching what is feeling best for you. I really appreciate Corinne that you acknowledge like a medical model, so to speak of approaching things. Obviously that's so important, but I feel like as our society progresses in all aspects, the medical model of doing things in terms of treating your mental health and mental illness is not, in my opinion, where we're at as like a society. Um, So just really appreciate that. And I guess I'm curious to hear more about like, what is like a first session like with you or what are some like preliminary topics or like what what does the work look like with you in um I guess like a first or second session definitely can I speak to something you brought up in terms of the medical model first so it's I really appreciate you saying that of how I think things are shifting because the medical model so for so long has looked at things in very in um, pieces, right? Well, there's the there's an issue in the lungs, so we'll look at just the lungs. But the whole body is connected; that we can't separate things out. And with that, the overall premise is healing the system as a whole. And I think that's where people are getting frustrated with the traditional medical model that they have felt left down in different ways that, okay, well, they treated this one issue, but then it caused this other issue. So it can't be just pieces. And I think individuals have experienced often this disappointment in the way that things have been approached. And ultimately, the way I look at it is that it can't possibly remain the same just because everything changes over time and evolves. But if we bring in quantum physics for just an itty bitty bit and just a tiny bit of quantum physics, what that shows us is that everything is energy. So the the the, the microphone, the headphones, the cameras, the lighting, right? The chair behind me, the walls, everything has a molecular structure that is vibrating at a certain level. 
And the lower the vibration, the more dense it appears. The higher vibration, the less it seems to have a physical substance, just like the air right in front of me. It has a molecular structure that's vibrating, but it's different than the wall behind me that looks so solid. So <laughs> all of that to say that the whole structure of how things have been focused in this piecemeal way does need to shift into the whole because everything is energy and it's all connected and we can't separate it out anymore. And I think that's the way that we're going. If it's the medical field, it's the mental health field, it's financial, legal, all of them, I think, are requiring this shift to more of a comprehensive approach than pieces, which is really wonderful because for us, in our own individual nature, it's going to be so helpful because we'll be addressing ourselves more as a whole, too, as well as all the systems around us. That's just a little tidbit that I wanted to mention in respect to the medical model, but I, I think it is great that it's shifting and changing and evolving as, as we ourselves do, too. Before we get back to that, oh, that's the, the question that Kelly was asking. I need to, like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, but, but what, but what, right? So like, but, <laughs> but what if like, you ever like walk into a room and it just feels like fucked up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, often, it just, that is it just my life, feels often. like, me too. <laughs> oh God. Like I, I got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Or like, I mean, I've walked into places and I felt physically sick having to leave. And it's like, I'm like, is that the energy? Is that just me being weird? Like, like, is that like in relationship to your practice? Like, is there these, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's an excellent question. I, that has been my experience since I was a kid and I didn't understand it at all because nobody talked about it. And I was the sensitive one. I was the one that was just too much and too emotional and too feely and it got discounted. But now I recognize that it's really a superpower that in terms of the spectrum of emotion and sensitivity and sensitivity, I mean, in being a sensor, just like microscopes, right? So long ago before they existed, we didn't believe there was such a thing as a cell. Now we know that there are cells in our skin and our hair because there's been more sensitive microscopes to detect them. So sensitivity in terms of the ability to sense is a spectrum. And I notice I am very far up on the spectrum. And there's many other people, I think many people who do struggle with mental illness and drug and alcohol abuse and things like that, I believe have a high level of perception, a high level of sensitivity, a high level of awareness. And because no one in our culture talks about it, we don't know what to do with it. And it really disconnects us from ourselves. We get deterred away from it. I tried to shut it down. I tried to stop being sensitive. I tried to keep my cool, tried to not be emotional. And then I was just shoving it all inside. And then I got really depressed and I developed anxiety and an eating disorder and suicidal ideation and eventually substance abuse. I just kept shoving it all in, which was making me more and more ill, trying to disconnect from my sensory body that is always feeling and always sensing everything. But everyone doesn't sense as much. But when I walk into many places or when I meet people, sometimes I'm just like, nope. <laughs> and I don't go about it like, oh my God, I don't like your energy. I gotta go. I just politely 
distance myself or just draw that boundary of, yeah, I gotta, I gotta run, gotta go. Or actually I'll be, you know, back another time. Maybe (laughs) I don't make a thing of it because most people don't appreciate if you're like, oh, your energy is like, ew. And what does that mean anyway? It doesn't mean most people think if something feels ew and really gross, that it's dark and it's bad, which is not necessarily true. The majority of the time, I encourage people only to evaluate it as a no for you. So if something doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel right, some connection doesn't feel right, it's a no for you right now. It could change next week. It could be different three months from now, three years from now. It could shift. But you know if it feels like no or you want to back away, that it's a no for you, like two opposing magnets. And that's it. You don't need to evaluate. You don't need to read more into it. You don't need to understand it more than that. But that is a really important piece to recognize and to honor for yourself, even if it doesn't make logical sense. That's the part where intuition is a little bit tricky, where, you know, your friends might be like, what's wrong with you? Like, let's just go in. Like, you know what? Like, I'll meet you guys after. I'm just going to take a walk and then I'll see you when you come out. Like, just not feeling it. And it's not personal. It's not that they shouldn't be doing it because you don't feel like it. It's just that the energy is different for you and that's okay. So I'm really grateful that you brought that up because it is a nuanced thing that's different for everyone and honoring it will help you to trust yourself more. I would assume it would make you feel just generally better, like, you know, not forcing yourself in a situation or to hang out with a specific person just because everybody else is um mm-hmm. but i but i am also really interested in sorry kelly <laughs> i'm really no i so appreciate that i think i'm really feeling that at least the end of 2023 right now the beginning of 2024 i feel like i'm tuning in more to that intuition and i especially in a lot of friendships and relationships recently Like I've ignored that feeling, that voice, that like red alert in my brain for so long. And I'm just starting to realize, well, this doesn't feel right. And that's enough. I don't owe myself an explanation more than that. I don't owe other people an explanation. It just doesn't feel right. It's not a good time to experience like the physical symptoms coming with this and I just need to honor that and like respect myself and what I want by honoring that but I feel like of course as as you've said Corinne countless times now like that's a continuous process throughout our lives that's just not going to stop when I turn a certain age or when it is you know fall this year but um no I so appreciate you both like amplifying that I feel like I'm I'm definitely experiencing that and kind of weeding out, I guess, friendships and relationships based on that. But yeah, um, not I don't want to shut this wonderful like topic of conversation down with my question. But no, also, no, I want to know. Yeah, like, I'm like really it? excited, like <laughs> what to hear what it looks like in a session or a, a week with you, yeah. Corinne. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sorry, but I have actually, I'm not sorry. That's not true. I want to interject one other piece. I swear we will get to sessions. <laughs> However, uh, because in this, we are essentially talking about what I would talk about with clients in session, right? If they're bringing up these questions or wanting to understand intuition and it's more conversational, uh, intuition and being triggered. 
They're very important topics to understand because a lot of times when people begin to listen to themselves, they're also beginning to listen to their triggers and they're very different things. When we get triggered, a trigger is very intense. It's very emotional. It's very rapid. It's very fast. And it goes zero to 60 that you need to do something. You need to do something now. This is wrong. You got to get out of here. And not that intuition can't come in like that if there is a significant threat, right? Like if you're on the street and a car is careening and you have your headphones on, you might feel that same like move kind of high alert. But a lot of times when there's intense emotionality with it, where you're livid or you're completely paranoid or you're so fearful, that is not intuition. Intuition speaks very softly. It's very gentle. It's very neutral. There is no emotionality usually with it. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And that is oftentimes a trial and error experience that as people begin to tune in more to the body, they're going to feel all of the things that they've avoided. And that's okay. Let them come up, let them go. But learning to speak and or learning to listen to that voice of the intuition or your gut or your heart, it's more nuanced and it's not so emotional. It's not so intense. It's not so heavy. It's not threatening. It's very calm. And those are the two that it often is just a little bit of a learning curve. Very naturally, we all listened to intuition when we were young. We went about things intuitively as we felt guided, as we wanted to. We started playing or we stopped and it just was in the flow. It's only reconnecting to that. It's not this whole big, huge, hard process when we tune in. And I wanted just to differentiate that initially and say that if you are working on differentiating intuition versus other feeling in the body, those are good barometers to follow of the intensity versus kind of the neutrality and starting to sense that. And it, it really is not such a big thing. You will get it very quickly. It's very innate in us to listen to and follow how we feel. But sometimes all of that stored stuff just needs to come out. Yeah, I mean, I, they teach like a lot of, um, like I'm in recovery from substance use and uh, a whole lot of other things, but <laughs> I, I go to like meetings, right? So meetings are like helpful for me and that's always what, what's worked for me. And uh, they always say, there's that little voice that you that you listen to um mm -hmm. and like i have i call it like the universe talking to me like i guess that would be my intuition because it's like a little tiny voice and it's just very matter of fact and it's like hey you should go do this thing and sometimes mm -hmm. i'll ignore it and be like i got other shit that i need to do today i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna sit down and write like i have to leave and and then i miss my opportunity and then there are other times where it's like you should uh you should take these 10 minutes to like meditate. And then I do it and I'm like, thank God. Like I, I very much needed that because it, it brings me to a different place. So yeah, I, I'm glad that you made the differentiation. And, and listening sometimes is, it sounds like such a, such a cakewalk. Like it sounds so lovely. Like, Oh, I listen to my intuition and I follow it. And 
it sounds so wonderful, but a lot of times our intuition is what is pushing us to grow, pushing us outside of our comfort zone and encouraging us to do things that will help us in the long run. Like you were saying, right? It might push you to write and sit and be peaceful and creative. It might push you to sit and meditate, which when we have all these other things going on, it feels irrelevant or unhelpful, but it might be the biggest step you can take for yourself in that moment of taking care of you or tuning in more with you. And so sometimes it is an uncomfortable thing of what's being asked from an intuitive standpoint. For me, I recognize sometimes when I just want to keep going, I've got things I got to get done. I got to keep moving. I'll hear that. Like, just sit down, sit down, relax, put your phone down (laughs) and close your eyes. And I'm, I have other things to do. I have, I'm busy. (laughs) But when I do it, even though I had that initial resistance, I'm noticing like, oh my gosh, I can do something in a much more effective way, or I can be much more efficient, or I hadn't sent that one email, right? Like it, it kind of is those, those shower moments or those driving moments that when things pop into mind, that the universe, if you want to use that language or you want to use your gut or your intuition or your heart or your energy, whatever, guides you toward in those moments when we do listen. It's never going to guide you, though, into things where you're going to be in harm's way. It doesn't guide you to drink alcohol. It doesn't guide you to be promiscuous, right? It doesn't guide you outside of things that are healthy and good for you and usually everyone around you. That's one of the other pieces that people are like, oh, my intuition guided me. I went out and was smoking pot all night. Like, no, (laughs) that's not going to be lined up. But another that's another part of, of learning sometimes for people that I thought it was my intuition and then it that went really poorly like okay maybe it wasn't and kind of teasing into what the differentiation is because for some people it'll it'll almost feel like a thought in your head right or you almost hear a thought in your head for me I can feel it I can feel this feeling in my gut in my stomach of moving forward or moving away from for other people it can be like this sensation of like heat or cold, it's it's different of how our intuition talks. And that's one of the things with yoga or meditation that as you tune into more to the body, you can have a better understanding of too. So if I were a client, my first time in your office. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> what would I what would I expect? Excellent question. I was waiting for you both to ask. Um, First time, there's a few different options that people have in working with me. Primarily, if it's a first session for me with someone, I will guide them toward doing a, a 90 minute session. And this is intuitive healing and clearing and reading in combination with the underlying mental health training that I have to pull that in and pull in the education and the support when things might get a little tough. But in general, when people come in to see me, they can come in in person if you happen to be in South Carolina. I work out of a a Himalayan salt room. If you know the Himalayan salt caves, um, they seem to be growing in popularity, but it's amazing that you can sit in between walls and on salt floors, the energy is just totally, totally this whole other experience. Either way, I work in a salt cave here in South Carolina, but I do remote sessions as well. And if someone comes to see me in remote session, 
typically we'll do that 90 minute session, which initially I usually prefer that people will do meditation first. I'll sit on my end, they'll sit on their end and we'll tune in to whatever's needed. And a lot of times that's me sitting and kind of feeling and sensing their energy and guiding them toward what is recommended for relaxing the shoulders or if there's stuck energy in the abdomen or in the throat, I'll lead them on a bit of their own energy clearing that they could also take and practice with them when they're not in session. So we go through that in a meditative uh, energy clearing type of work together while I'm also tuning in and reading some of it. And when I say reading, I'm feeling in my body what is going on in theirs. And this started a long time ago when I was still doing traditional mental health therapy. When my clients would walk into my office, I would feel immediately sick to my stomach. I would feel tightness in my throat. I would have an immediate headache. And I didn't understand at first what was happening until they sat down and they were like, oh my gosh, I've been so sick. My stomach hurts so much. I don't know what's going on. And I was like, Hmm. <laughs> okay. Or my client would come in sh with sunglasses on, right? Like my head hurts so bad. It's not a migraine. I don't know what it is. And I was like, Oh yeah, my, my head hurts too. And I could from that understand it better to help them to release and move it. So when I say I'm reading a client's energy, what I'm doing is I'm just tuning into how I feel because that's a very clear sense for me and then helping them to shift that energy. A lot of times we'll do breath work. Breathing is fantastic. In its natural state, which is calm and deep, it's most closely linked to our natural state of being, which is very peaceful and deep. So because it's so light, we can easily shift energy in the body. And a lot of times, most people only breathe up here. And that's also going to activate the parasympathetic system, the stress response. When we naturally shift it lower into the gut, into the low abdomen, it can it can shift energy pretty pretty quickly. So the breath is one thing that we often neglect, but is really important to focus on. So most of the time, we're going to do some type of breathing based on what I'm sensing and feeling in my body. And based on what I'm reading, then after we clear some of that out, we do meditation, we help them understand maybe some points that they can take home, ways that they can work on it individually. I'm going to bring in my therapy training with my intuitive, um, like hits, my intuitive impressions and put them together because if there's lumps in their throat, it likely is connected to not speaking up, to not standing up for themselves, to not being in their power. If it's connected to the abdomen, we're going to want to work on confidence and using the voice to express themselves. And all of that pairs together, usually with mental health pieces of ways that they're abandoning themselves or not taking care of themselves or trauma in the past that has impacted them to this point. So it all comes together, but no session is ever the same. So if I work with somebody and I've worked with a few clients over a few years now, not weekly, they've backed off from weekly, but regardless of the length of time, no session looks the same because each time it's me tuning in and evaluating what the client needs. But eventually when I have worked with people very long, 
even some of them short, depending on where they're at, I have them guide it more. I'll tune in. I'll have my own little impressions of what's needed, but ask them. And a lot of times they'll start to line up, which tells me that they're tuned into themselves. They're knowing what they need. They have a really clear sense of things. And it's going to be pretty loose soon where they won't need to work with me anymore, right? They've kind of got it situated where they have the understanding of themselves. And that's my ultimate goal. When I say that, sometimes people think it's so funny, but I did as a mental health therapist too. I wanted to work myself out of a job. Ideally, my clients do not need to work with me very long term. Ideally, they're able to tune into themselves, clear their own energy, manage what's coming up and be back on their feet and feel grounded and centered without my my part in that. So that is my hope for all of my clients that I work with. But each session is different because it's intuitively guided and really just like therapy, you know, what's needed in the moment, what's needed for that, for that session. I think that's what it's all about though, as a clinician is just at the end of the day, meeting them where they are and hoping that you can guide them to initiate change or peace or comfort or whatever they're seeking out of, you know, mental health services and counseling and, um, intuitive healing and, um, yeah, I, I really am inspired by that, that reminder of, I hope you're not here for long, but while we're spending time together, I hope you get as much as you can out of our time together, um, working on you as a client. Um, yeah, that's just wonderful. I'm taking a course in motivational interviewing right now as like my elective. And a lot of what you're saying just reminds me of a lot of the components of motivational interviewing and just like person-centered care in general, but I won't nerd out too much. This isn't, (laughs) this isn't class. I don't mean to sound like a discussion board post, but, um, it is. I don't know why. Yeah. Because when clients uh, keep coming, a lot of times too, they'll have a preference of, you know what, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know today. I don't want to talk about anything. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just so confused. So unsure. Can you just clear my energy? And then we can talk about what comes up for you. Like, okay, sure. Right. Cause that's them understanding where they're at and voicing where they feel like they can function and I can support that. So some clients after the first session, they're like, you know what? I really want to do more conversational type pieces. It's not therapy. I don't say that I function in that capacity anymore because it's got so many other components and it's shifted so much from traditional therapy. I don't want people to think that that's what I do because it's, if you know what traditional therapy looks like, it's not that. (laughs) It has those components, but it's so different that it wouldn't be fair to say that that's how I function. But we can incorporate kind of like our conversation now, pieces that help them to understand what intuition is or what energy is or how it moves in the body or maybe how they hear or feel their own intuition or what blocks are coming up for them. A lot of sessions can be very verbal. And in that, if they prefer, just like in our conversation now, I could be also clearing energy as we're having the conversation. So when I say that I do energy work, a lot of times people think they're like on a massage table and they're listening to this lovely music, which can be 
well, in the salt room, they're on a, they're on a salt floor, but <laughs> typically they can be on a table. However, I can also function in the capacity where it's conversational and I'm moving what I'm feeling even without them just laying down. So a lot of times clients too will dictate what it is that they prefer or how they like to engage in sessions. And that's also perfectly fine. I don't have this staunch position on it. I want them ultimately to understand and know what they need. And then I can augment and supplement that as needed, but I would prefer that they, they dictate that and they, they, they take the ball with it. Well, it's a really unique role that you're in. Like I haven't quite met somebody like you, which is incredible. Um, you know, just that, you know, giving the, the client like agency of like, okay, like this is, you tell me what you need and I'll try to meet you where you're at. And I, I always appreciate that. Um, I mean, I know like, just like in healthcare in general, it can be really scary as a client to like speak mm -hmm. up to your, to, to the person because like they're, maybe it's not necessarily, uh, what what the person is trying to do but like you know speaking to my doctor right like mm -hmm. i i get nervous sometimes i'm like oh like i don't know if i can like say that this is what i need and sometimes yeah. i i have in the past where i'm like this is what i need and they're like nope and i'm like okay <laughs> i guess i don't need that mm -hmm. um without like any type of like further discussion um so there can be like a really strange power dynamic and Yes. being a young woman too like i feel like that as well but it's really nice that you know i could imagine if i walked into a salt room i would be like okay like this is cool <laughs> like i feel like <laughs> i feel like i'm okay here um are there like more people like you out here in the world i was just gonna <laughs> ask like is there not to get all professional but some sort of like group whether you all keep in touch via email or where where are all of you wonderful folks like interconnected in your kind of like casual network of healing yeah well I will tell you that the combination of healing and mental health therapy training is not the most um prolific profession just yet. I do think that many of my colleagues in the mental health therapy world who are trained that way are feeling like they need other ways of intervention. They need other things to offer their clients because the issues that people are approaching and they're carrying, they're dealing with, they're so complex and they're so heavy and they're so challenging. And it is a lot of work, both for clinicians, but mostly for clients, for people seeking care. They have a myriad of issues going on. And I say that with so much love because I had been in that same category that it is a lot. And the more that we can combine, just like we were talking about the medical model shifting and being more comprehensive, the more I think that we can bring together, the better. There is an association called uh, and I want to get it right, the Association of Energy Psychology, I think that is accurate, where there are providers, many trained in mental health therapy traditionally, but also then energy. And there is a scope of practice in psychology called energy psychology. That's not where I formally have been trained, but that's probably the best intersection of the, those two worlds that exist in, in traditional education and training, which is really cool. However, uh, 
I don't know of any other facets where where these worlds combine. There's a lot of providers, a lot of uh, teachers in the world of energy, in the world of spirituality or healing, whatever you want to call it, that have mental health therapy training and that work in very energetic or meditative or yogic capacities now. So there's there's a few examples that are out there, but I do think that it is an opportunity for growth in the field there that a lot more providers will pop up that are trained in, in both modalities and really bridging the gap between such Western way of approaching things. And then I would call it Eastern, right? I would call the other approaches that I do very Eastern with um, more like Chinese medicine influence, right? Yogic influence. Meditation has been around so long, but not so much in our country. So I think there's going to be a lot more providers that are bridging, bridging the gap. But right now we seem to be a little bit like Bigfoot that, oh my gosh, there's, there's one. And uh, we're not, we're not so comprehensive, but I do imagine that, that that'll start to change. I'm excited to see it change. And I know like in mental health services in general, there's such a movement towards evidence-based practices. And of course, Kristen is like the little investigator while you're speaking and set a link of what you're referring to. So I had something to look at. Thank you, Kristen. I literally um, looked at like what a salt room was and I was like, oh, wow. Like It's this is just like- wonderful, wonderful to have like all like you said earlier, any and all opportunities for a client to choose what they need to heal and to to do the work. And mm-hmm. um, just taking a glance at this like website on energy psychology and everything that's interwoven, it just looks phenomenal. And um, I'm excited to, to hear more about this. Um, but yeah, Corinne, as we kind of like end our time together, I just... Um, want to ask like where folks can follow you, where they can stay in touch with you. If you have any new or exciting projects or um, <laughs> anything like speaking appear- appearances, other podcasts, any anywhere that folks can stay up to date with you and your work and all of the wonderful things you're doing. The the primary, I mean, I know you both already spoke to my website, but that's often where things get posted and put of what's upcoming, where I might be speaking and what might be happening in that realm. I do have older speaking engagements on there, but uh, there will be newer ones added. This this podcast obviously will go up there as well. I am on Instagram and I am on Facebook. It's the same uh, with just Corinne Cop. You can find me in both of those as well, which is usually professional, energetic, esoteric, healing type of uh, posts. It's not so much my my personal pages really much at all. Uh, CorinneCop.com has has most of the information, has information on my sessions, where you can find me, what's upcoming, and you can subscribe there to my newsletter too, which goes out usually not too often. Right now it's about quarterly. So that's also an option for people to stay in tune. Do you take uh, virtual clients or is it just in person and in state or like, how does that work for you? I have one of my clients right now is in Colombia in South America and another one in India. And they, uh, they are from the States, but they travel and that's where they're at. So I see clients all over and, uh, we may do virtual like video sessions, but sometimes we don't even need that. 
I don't have all the technology involved. We'll sit, we'll be on the phone after meditation and tune in then to what was coming up and what was happening. So I see people all over and I have probably more remote clients than I do in person, just because a lot of the people that I tend to see are find me from a distance, which is perfectly fine. But uh, when I do travel, which I do often, that's also something that comes up in my newsletter because when I am in different places, sometimes people will come find me when I'm in their area and we're together in person, which is really cool. Oh, that is so, so wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for, for just sharing a little bit about yourself, Corinne. It's been a pleasure to be able to get to know you and, and for our listeners to get to know you too. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.